Hello everyone and welcome to another another episode of the Product Coalition podcast. It's great to be bringing you another Sydney-based episode of the podcast series. Andrew Grushenko, thank you for joining me today. Uh, hi Jay, uh, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Looking forward to chatting today about continuously developing as a product manager. It's going to be uh, a really important topic for everyone involved in, in product management. First of all, I want to give a, a big thank you and shout out to our location sponsor, BrainMates. BrainMates is a product management training and consulting team based in Australia, New Zealand and Denver, USA. Find out more about BrainMates' three-day course for product folks on the 9th of December in Denver at brainmates.com.au. If you've just discovered Product Coalition, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We're a global product management community that started out as a publication at productcoalition.com back in 2014. Product Coalition also has a Slack community of 5,000 product managers around the world. It's free to join. You can head over to productcoalition.com to grab an invite. If you'd like to watch this podcast, you can see Andrew and I on YouTube by searching for Product Coalition and we're 100% funded by the community. So if you'd like to support the the podcast, the publication, the Slack community, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash productco. Andrew, great to have you. Hey, how are you? It's it's good to be sat recording with you. Andrew and I uh, worked together going back, I think, five years ago. Yeah. Um, we, we shared uh, some some product experiences working on the same product and and, and integration back then, um, which has been good. Five years on, here we are recording a podcast. Yeah, here we go. Let's, let's see what we've learned in that time. Let's see. <laughs> um, Andrew, before we get into continuously developing as a product manager, we're going to talk about continuously developing as a Sydney cider. Okay. So, um, so we, with each of the guests, we've had a, a pub quiz, a Sydney pub quiz. Um, we've got three questions for you. So, um, Andrew, how long have you lived in Sydney now? Uh, ten years. Ten years? Yes. Ten years. Ten years of Sydney's home. Yes. Awesome. Okay, let's see what you've learned in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, now, have a guess. What percent of the population of Sydney was born overseas? Um, on average in Australia, I think it's 20%, but in Sydney it should be 30% at least. Excellent guess. 31.7% of the population of Sydney was, was born overseas. Uh, correct, in, uh, compared to 22.2% of the overall Australian population, mm. big immigrant population base, which is great. Okay, um, do you ever get out and enjoy the Christmas carols in the domain? I haven't, but I definitely, it's on my bucket list. Okay, yes. good, good. I know. Um, do you know what year Christmas carols in the domain? The domain is a big park, park. Yep. for those listening around the world and not been to Sydney. Um, big open um, grassland, Space. slap bang in the middle of the city almost. Um, in what year did Christmas carols in the domain start? Oh, have no idea. Won't even pretend. No worries. Okay, 1982. Okay, there we go. So quite, quite the tradition there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, lastly, we're going to talk about that big opera house yes. on the, on the harbour there. Okay, what year was that completed? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! You're just pushing me hard. Was it 95? Uh, no, a lot older than that. 1973. 73. Yes. Oh, actually, it's one. Yep. 1973 took 14 years to build, 10,000 yes. construction workers. And uh, in one of the other episodes, actually, we talked about the cost of it. It was 14 times over budget. Yes. 
So it was actually awful from the pro, uh, project management perspective, but also a big shout out to the um, architect right. who managed to find a way to make it uh, pr- to producible to make it right. To make Kept it, it going. Yes. Found the money. Yep. Yeah, and actually, yeah, making the technology and learning from the mistakes as well, yes. Yeah. I haven't actually been inside the Opera House, uh, oh, which, okay. I, which I should do while I'm in Sydney. Definitely. Uh, uh, Andrew, wh- what's your favourite spot by the water in Sydney? Have you got a f- favourite water, water spot? Oh, it's, um, yeah, it's obviously all the Sydney Harbour, including uh, Darling Harbour. Uh, there are so many water spots, including the beaches. I'm not a beach person, but right. I like walking by the beach. I'm not surfer, but like walking... Um, a speed bridge is wonderful. Speed bridge, yeah. Yes, okay. wonderful place right. um, to chill and have good food there. Right. I recommend that place too. Great, great. And being in Sydney, is there a favourite product or, or any meetup or conference that you particularly enjoy? Uh, this year I didn't attend uh, any, but I've been uh, with the Brandmates uh, meet- meetups. They've right, been okay. organising a few meetups, so which I really I- enjoyed. Uh, Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks. Um, before we get jumped into today's topic about continuously developing, um, do you mind sharing your background and your path um, into into product and to, to where you are today? Yeah, maybe in one minute I'll try to make it short. No rush, all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, my background started with the technical hands-on. I started developing uh, applications, but I always worked uh, working with the end users and trying to understand what they actually want. And, uh, you know, product manager, product owner roles were not there yet. Uh, it was mostly kind of BAO uh, was develop, uh, programmer analyst. Right, okay. But the, the, the same kind of thing started questioning is w- w- what is most important to spend your time on? Um, yeah, then I worked in the bigger companies. Then I worked um, uh, my kind of most pure product role was with the uh, in Moscow. Uh, in Russia when I was actually doing uh, computer games uh, productions. I was a producer on a few titles uh, for the computer games um, and it was a really interesting experience, especially after the corporate world because in corporate um, you have users who tell maybe they want directly or you have requirements coming in the kind of mass market products like uh, games. Um, There are no one telling you, you know, it's a little bit uh, art and science, how to make a successful product that people will love and, you know, come back when they don't have to, right? It's right. not like they uh, job yeah. to do. Yeah. And then I moved to Australia and been here, like I said, 10 years and uh, really enjoying this time in Australia. I need to repeat my <laughs> history of Sydney <laughs> and when the Harbour Bridge was built in Opera. And <laughs> yeah, I've been working in a couple of companies, but most of the time I spent uh, in Telstra. Uh, where we work uh, together and uh, also have some of my individual projects. I released a couple of mobile games uh, on the market, which is also an interesting experience from awesome. the product perspective. Brilliant. Yeah. Great. Um, thank you so much. Uh, let's get stuck into continuously developing, mm-hmm. and we're going to break this down into a couple of themes. But, but to get us going, um, could, could you talk about learning and your I suppose, your personal learning experience in life first and how that shaped your perception of how we should learn and develop as individuals. Okay, I first uh, remember that bright toy in, in my when I was a little boy. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it was later. Um, <laughs> look, yeah, uh, the, the learning usually, uh, when people say it's associated 
stereotypically is with like school or university. This is where you learn. And this is how it actually was when I, I finished university and it was quite straightforward. Then you go to university, you learn your trade and degree and uh, then you start working in that. Um <coughs> And, yeah. and for context, Andrew, for those listening, yeah. you're originally from Ukraine? Yes, I'm originally from so Ukraine. So education would have been through in terms yeah. of the USSR? <laughs> yes, it was actually Soviet Union and that collapse, your age, collapse sorry. of yeah. the Soviet Union. So it yes. was quite turbulent times right. back then. But di- and did a lot of the education standards continue in Ukraine regardless of that? Yes, it's right. actually Soviet education and engineering education was quite regarded. Uh, okay. around the world and as you know for example like uh, russian uh, engineers russian developers programmers are quite well known for yes. math skills and uh, techni- uh, technology skills yeah um yeah so and as i said so like doing university is no longer just one way of learning so and well with the, all the change in career change in technologies i had actually to do it all the time Right. And I'm uh, doing in very different modes, uh, reading, studying, attending courses, and um, uh, doing hands-on. That's an important part of the learning as well. So that's how I learn. Yeah, and, and obviously pr- product management, uh, th- there's changes in what we should be across continuously as, as product people, regardless, uh, uh, I'd say, of the functional role. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of terms or Training paths get become fashionable. Um, trends get exploited. Some could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've obviously had sh- human-centered design or design thinking have an immense amount of focus on it, um, re- rightly or wrongly, um, in in a number of recent years. Um, w- what's your thoughts around um, how product people pay attention to to staying on top of the trends and the movements and and staying up to date of learning? Yeah, I, I would say things to start with it's first of all can be quite overwhel- overwhelming right. right all this information all these different you know angles and as you said um the second thing is as a discipline the product management of if we are talking digital products management to kind of narrow yes. it down a little bit um it's, it's still quite quite fresh quite new right it's um it's been basically as a discipline recent few up to 10 years right before that probably not many people managed um uh not many people mention it um yeah so how to stay on top that's a good question so um because it's uh fresh and new it's constantly developing it's actually forming right so there is no one who knows you know when it becomes routine like I don't want to kind of call out anyone, but if accounting or bookkeeping, for example, right. it's a discipline that established 200 years ago, right? right okay. And now it's well understood. It's yes. quite a science behind it, right? It's quite routine. Yeah, there are its own tricks and learnings. But uh, product management is very fresh. So it's constantly changing. So we constantly need to uh, pay attention to see what's happening, listen different angles. And it all works out. It's like cooking, right? It, it's in the cooking. I think this discipline is in the cooking. Nice. Everyone's still learning, I suppose, <laughs> even learning what ingredients are there. Yeah, exactly. Without even worrying about recipes, just yes, learning yes, what, are the, yes. what are the new ingredients coming for That's us to right. experiment with. Yeah. Um, you mentioned in, in your intro there that you've personally developed a couple of products yourself, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. It, particularly in, in games. Can you, can you tell me what is it about taking that approach mm-hmm. that helps you learn 
technologies, yeah. methods, yeah. etc. Yeah, I think it's uh, very important for a product person to actually have uh, their own pet projects, uh, whether they become commercial or just for community or something else doesn't matter. But that's an opportunity actually uh, to apply. Y- you know, in work environment, you some t- you have constraints always. It's life about constraints, but that's fine. That's probably just another world when you can apply uh, when only constraints is basically yourself. You know, your resources, what you have, your thinking, and um, yeah, and sometimes to face the challenges that you put um, in front of your team and now trying to solve them themselves. I worked in a pair with an artist, uh, with, uh, she's also Ukrainian, uh, mm-hmm. Alina, Alina Vagovska, and um, you know, it's collaboration of two people on creative project. It's very interesting dynamic, and learning the, the market, learning the marketing, how you find people on that market, how you address them, you know, and there have been some learnings, I mean, like mistakes. And learning is also, nowadays, is a synonym how you kind of recover from mistakes. You just take learnings from that, yeah. Awesome. So many people I speak to come from come into product from software mm-hmm. perspective. Um, I'm keen to know, in, in the world of games, mm-hmm. um, how do you experiment that you're getting your, your game recipe right in terms of difficulty and levels and all of the complexities and variables that come into a game, how do you experiment and work out that recipe? Because I imagine it's, Mm -hmm. for me, I'd assume it's a lot more complex than software development where we typically got a funnel that we want to direct someone through. You've got a lot more variables to play with in games. Is that true? Um, Yeah, first of all, kind of to its large landscape, different platforms and different uh, game um, types, like, you know, starting from racing, shooters, adventures, etc. Within genres, yeah, there are some kind of common patterns, but like, you know, if you play an adventure, you expect to have a quest, or maybe to right. have upgrade, right? Something like that. Uh, but all other things, uh, yeah, it's uh, creative, and that a lot depends on the genius and creativity of the team, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's one person who is driving the whole idea, sometimes it's the team who in that, you know, collaboration and enthusiasm come up with greater ideas. But however ideas are great, it is important to put them in front of the users, right? So there is no kind of anything different there and see how they play. So there are two things. The, um, checking that concept works, right? Right. You can do it quite early. Mm-hmm. And then checking that the balance works, right? Because balance is a fine-tuning which actually can make or break product because um, some product can have the same gameplay for example but because of the balance absolutely different people can play like casual you know it's something easy entertaining and or hardcore where people you know really okay and it's difficult to create one game that would hit both audiences right okay so i I suppose like any product then this comes back to knowing your customer and the context they want to consume your product is it a quick fix on a tram or a train Playing it for five minutes exactly, and yes. trying to get a, exactly, yes. a a quick adrenaline hit out yep. of the game and some satisfaction yep. versus someone sitting down and playing a game intentionally for yeah. four hours yeah. on a Deep Saturday diving. evening. Yeah, I, I, and that's the thing that I keep talking to people who have been mentoring is that uh, my easy kind of uh, uh, test is ask a product manager who is the uh, the the product for. 
if they say for everyone, it's a fail, right? So yeah. you need to start again. So, um, and understanding your audience is not just separating, you know, young people or middle-aged people, right? Or males from females. It's sometimes it's relevant, sometimes it's not. It's more, as you said, about particular situation in their day, in their uh, life, and their needs, right? So. Yeah, the environment. Now, I, I know bring it back to to learning, Andrew. Um, uh, yourself and your partner Elena have, have tried to tackle and create some a new way of learning. Um, with Power Labs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Could you talk to me about what, what's driving that and what have you seen in terms <coughs> of an opportunity and how you're approaching that? Yeah, so we're on. We organized the uh, meetup. That is meetup.com, and you can organize your own meetup. And there are a few, and like brainmates uh, have their own meetup. And um, but what we notice is that it's one thing like when I watch something or even read, and complete int- completely different uh, learning experience when I do something by uh, hands on, doing actually uh, with my hands. And it just gets into my, my mind, right? So those practice exercises that you have in training. And then we decided, okay, let's try to run a meetup when people not just, you know, sit back and listen, but actually come with the laptops and we will do them, you know, th- just some kind of training, but give them a right. scenario and walk them through these steps and let them achieve and they actually walk out with have created something. Awesome. And it's been already five um, five laps. So we try to run them every month. Great. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. It's very interesting um, experience, and people seem to be happy and really um, taking that. What it's called? It's called experiential learning, right? Yeah. It's um, uh, the most powerful way to for adults and not only adults to learn the n- the new knowledge is actually by doing it. Right. I. I Certainly, um, that, that resonates with me. Um, is I, I need to get my hands dirty and experience yeah. and play and um, do things wrong in, our, in, our yeah. in order to understand how to do things right. So it's great that you've created that safe environment to yeah. be able to And to actually, uh, you're right, it's safe because we also, one of the things we are saying, it's non-competitive environment. It's not hackathon, there is no winner, so, you know, like great. we took competition out, right? And people of different levels, some faster, some slower, but... We help everyone to get one hour to get to result. Great. Um, let, let's let's go down a particular theme with regards to learning and and technical knowledge and technical uh-huh. competencies. Um, what wh- what are your observations when it comes to look? You've worked a long time in in the world of product management of how people could or should build up te- technical competency. Um, yeah, maybe. Just a bit on the background, why technical? Because all the wonderful, pro- okay, not all, but many yes. uh, wonderful products that we see in software, they enabled by technology, right? So it's not like those old war um, worlds when people come with the business idea and then just implement it. It's more technology suggesting some business ideas, right? Um, and that's why it's important, I think, to have that uh, knowledge of the technologies and know the limitations um, of that and know um, where your idea may struggle on the market because it would be, for example, the technology is not reliable and fiddly. And um, yeah, there have been some products launched even in Telstra which were not successful just because the technology were not really 
great. The idea was great, but the technology was suitu- not suitable. Right? right. There are opposite examples, of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, with, with regards to technical understanding, there's a, there's foundational is critical is yeah. what I'm hearing from you, mm-hmm. and that's to identify opportunities mm-hmm. and constraints. Um, what else with regards to working within a team as a product person? What what values does those technical competencies bring for you? Um, yeah, um, uh, I just realized that I probably didn't answer your question about how you learn, but I'll yeah, okay. uh, uh, ex- expand on that a little bit. Um, so in the in in the team, uh, look, if you're talking about software products, you have multidisciplinary team, hopefully, <laughs> that have all required skills to build your product, which uh, you have uh, UX people, you have developers, you uh, may have whoever you need to build the product. Um, uh, it is despite that the team need to uh, need to be great cohesion between the team. There is also um, still some specialization, especially like you know, like uh, technology people, like developers versus UX people. Uh, n- not versus, but it's like kind of t- you know two two flavors, a little bit of different uh, personality sometimes, and different skill sets. Obviously, um, we all want to be T shaped, and this is especially important yes. for the product uh, manager because he or she interacts with both, right? And uh, they need to understand uh, that, right? An ability to understand when lead uh, engineer, for example, calling out that something will not work and suggesting an idea that something better could work, right? So that's the technical knowledge of the product owner can really help them to do that, right? And how can they gain this knowledge? Again, through the learning, through the interest. I think if there is an interest and desire, the all other thing is just how. Right, okay. Yeah. S- similar to, to technical knowledge, and it, I'd say this is almost underrepresented um, by product management people as a co- competency, is the world of facilitation and hosting effective yeah. workshops. And w- we were fortunate to spend some, some time mm-hmm. together um, earlier in our career where we had some great facilitators mm-hmm. or people who were paid just for facilitating great workshops yep. for us. What, what, what have you learned around the world of um, being a product manager and ensuring that you get your workshops right and they're well yep. facilitated? What, what, what are some of the things you can advise? It's actually interesting. That's completely opposite to kind of technology in a way because mm. it's people, it's engineering conversations, and that also has its own uh, laws and art and science. So for me, most interesting part in the workshop, when you have a group of people and you have limited time and you have some problem to solve, and walking into the room, having some plan but not knowing the answer and relying and making up the people dynamic in the room and structuring their time and leading them within that uh, time through this uh, workshop to get to those outcomes that you all want. And so in this formula, there are a lot of already defined. So you need to have um, right people in the room. You, you need to agree on what the outcomes really you're expecting, right? Um, and this is what to start um, with. And yeah, you're right. We, we learned from uh, great people and I applied that learnings and found it's quite interesting that seeing people dynamic in the room, seeing when the room is bored, seeing when the room is distracted, seeing when the room is excited, seeing when the room you know, is going in some rabbit holes, when it splits into different subgroups, which one group is disengaged, this other group is you know, discussing some, some topic. Um, and for the 
product manager because um, it's a lot about conversations, right? And workshop with the user is probably separate. Um, okay. More what I can probably about workshop with the stakeholders. Okay. Uh, which can be, you know, all your sponsors, can be your executives. Yeah, depends on the environment. And and could you talk to me about how, how have you learned to do that well over time? Because mm-hmm. um, uh, unlike technology where you can go and jump on Amazon and do a certification or, um, you know, buy any type of online course to learn coding frameworks, patterns, etc. When it comes to facilitating workshops, have you found it effective to improve the way you do that over time? Yeah, so first of all, uh, I was part of the, as I said, those facil- uh, facilitators that run workshops, so I just observed. So right. observation, so take part first, probably, if you're new into that, uh, just observe. Right, and observe some good ones, observe some bad ones uh, in terms of outcomes, I mean, and uh, see what work, what doesn't work, then just practice that. But the thing that is also a little bit lacking of that kind of theory, a little mm. bit, uh, because um, there are some principles, and I'm thinking of putting them together, some right. kind of an article or publication, of putting some principles that if you think about those and line up those, you know, like preparing, having the right people, having the right agenda, having the right conversation, how to manage the side, side conversation, how to get in the authority uh, up front. Wha- what is authority, right? Because right. you may be just, you know, all people in the room may be much more paid than you, you know, they may be C-suit uh, executives, yep. right? But, yeah, but if line up those things, I think people can apply and from doing that, they can learn and see. What I love is the, is the point you raise around product managers um, bringing ownership to the workshops they're running there. And yes. I think that's really yes. important is yes. don't expect other people to do it for you and, and to take the lead. Cannot sit in the room back. Yeah, he don't just sit in the Yeah, okay, fantastic. Thank you for sharing so much, Andrew. Okay, thanks for having me. It's been really, really good. Time's flown. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Product Coalition podcast. Um, Today's guest was Andrew Koshenko, and we spoke about continuously developing as a product manager. I'd be interested again, Andrew, to to do this in six or 12 months and see what you've learned um, as further continuous development. Thanks to BrainMates for hosting this Sydney-based series of the Product Coalition podcast, and I look forward to sharing another podcast guest with you next week. Thank you all.